I just like to start kind of placing uh, the term sankara. Remember that sankara is a, is a term; it's not a, a thing. It's a it's a way of framing up a certain qu- quota or quantum of experience, and it's the energetic aspect of experience, the dynamic aspect of experience. So, remember, sankara is really a term that's being used to, to refer to something very familiar in all our experience it's the energetic aspect of it which means and you begin to recognize that this is both impulsive faltering uh, agitating contracting expanding suffusing uh, inclining attending feeling sensing there's always some kind of tremble there so it goes in very powerful energetic surges to subtle inclinations and you know it's the energetic aspect of it at the base of it so when you feel the breathing you feel the breathing is this it's an energy of pushing subsiding and so forth mm. feel the energy of thinking it's running it's racing it's stuttering it's it's jabbering it's whining but whatever it's doing in terms of its tone you feel the energetic flow of it right so that's the baseline same with the emotions <coughs> it can be <coughs> softly opening and inclining and enjoying or it could be tightening and fighting and flailing but whatever the you know the coloration of it it's all energetic isn't it yeah so that's the baseline of it the the energetic aspect of experience because it's energetic, then couldn't that energy be calmed, abated, relaxed, lifted, you know, because it's fluid. Now that's the possibility. And even how much of it is really necessary? Could some of it just be said, well, you can just take a break now. Remember, Nibbana is taking a break. And take a break is the beginning of it. And you're looking for complete retirement. <laughs> what a nice idea. Just, just enough, done enough. <clears throat> so that's the baseline then, because it, it's, it's productive. It means as it moves, it creates more sankharas. You know, it's like, it, it's, it's like a virus, it goes viral, you know. So it goes into hyperactivities of, and then characteristically these will occur in the mind. You know, either the emotions start to reverberate, reverberate and react to each other and try to control the emotions or they will flare up or they'll increase, they'll cascade. Uh, the thoughts will cascade and reduplicate we think about our thinking think about how to stop thinking thinking about why we can't stop thinking about thinking looking at how we can think about how to stop thinking about thinking about our thinking and it will go on you know it will always reduplicate and it generally bounces around in the feeling level we feel you know we feel kind of flat or low so we feel doubt about that and then we feel irritated about that and then we feel disappointed about irritation about our doubt and then we feel frustrated about irritation about our doubt and then we and so on so it just kind of cascades and this is the reduplicative quality of sankharas they they condition and they continue condition and augment conditions and amplify conditions and you know all, do all kinds of things to, you build up to a very full experience but full of of movements and uh, um, <coughs> and some moves that are trying to contradict other movements uh, and then you want to sort of that, that's the way they go and uh, another way you can refer to them is 
a very, very important one just to re- reflect upon. There's, there's a natural, at the baseline is natural, you have breathing in and breathing out, there's nothing wrong with that. And so the Kaya Sankara, and if you want a, a very colloquial uh, reference of that is, whatever informs you gives you the feeling of, of here I am. That's done by Kaya Sankara, here I am. I'm here. That's done by the Kaya Sankara. You may not experience it as breathing, but it's the energy that particularly centers around breathing, but it's actually through the entire body. The body's inner intelligence is energetic. So it says, here I am. This is, this is here, this bit. That's Kaya. That's the bodily formation. Heart formation tells me how I am. How I am. Happy sort of half happy, happy fluctuating to uncertain, you know, that's all that is the citta sankara. Then the, the vajji sankara is telling me what I'm going to do about it all. So how I'm going to improve it, change it, fix it, be other than this, be more of it, be less of it. So it's everything telling us about what we can do so where I am, how I am, and what I'm going to do about it. Though that's, that's, the, that's the model. But there's, not, there's no sankara that tells you who you are. So anything that tells you who you are is a, is a delusion. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a natural function. It's not a, you know, these things are quite natural. You have to have something to tell you where you are and how you are and what to do. You don't need to have anything tell you who you are. So if there's something telling you who you are, consider that, we call that Mara. (laughs) It's a deluder. How How can you know who you are? Because what is it that knows who you are? Who is it who knows? So you continually divide and subdivide at an infinitum. So anything that tells you who you are, and generally it can say some quite unpleasant things about who you are, just recognize, now that's delusion. And first of all, let's find out, when I'm in that, when that experience is happening, let's find out where I am, first of all. Go to the body. Don't go to what you're gonna do about it, because when something's telling you who you are and then you go to what you're going to do about it, you're going to get very, very busy (laughs) trying to mop up a delusion (laughs) by doing something, by by following it. (laughs) So when it says that, you stop that. Don't go down, don't go there. Go first of all to where you are in your body, your feet. doesn't matter who you are because here you are. And then from there you can start to edge into, now I've got some, there's ground, there's a refuge place, and now I can begin to sense, really, how am I? You know, how am I? And this is very colloquial talking, you know. Uh, Seeing sort of sad, or uncertain, or frustrated. Okay, that's it. You know, try to just staying with that. What does that need? What does it take to be with that without sankaring all over it? <laughs> what does it just take to be present with that? First thing. We're not getting into a kind of whole what to do about it, and then maybe the same present, steady, calming widening, softening, oh, what does it need? Maybe it just needs that reassurance of presence. So, oh yeah, I'm okay again. You know, needed to find out that simple grounding. Mm. This is called <coughs> appropriate attention, or deep attention, or wise attention, or careful attention. You attend to the right thing and not to the wrong thing. But don't give attention to the delusion and the ignorance. 
If you do, you will give it more energy and it will send Kara all over you. Give the attention to the appropriate place and the mind will come out of that delusion because delusion has got no uh, substantial quality to it. It's, it's, it's all ghosts, ghosts and mirrors. So the fundamental thing we just keep bearing in mind, careful attention. And careful attention is almost where you place attention, how you place it. So that sense of very simple one, you know, coming into the body, whole body, widening, softening, because all the, the difficulties have a tendency to activate into the body and you get kind of tension and uh, uh, shakiness or spacey or spun out or feeling a lot of energy going up into your head or tightening in your chest or something. You get quite a strong body um, reference to that. So, oh, there it is. Here I am. Now, at that bodily level, how am I at the bodily level? I feel sort of like I've got my head inside a bag. Oh, it's just, it's just oh, open up, take that off. <coughs> feel like my chest's in a vice. Oh, let's just see if we can push the back up a little, take a few breaths, open it up. So it, it's, it's we're, one thing I find just as a skillful means in terms of appropriate attention, is try to attend how the body is experiencing this difficulty which seems to be, you know, psychological. It has a psychological voice to it, of course, but it actually runs across, straddles all three. The Sankaras all, um, they, they, they cross-reference or they, they are, they're in sympathy with each other. So if you feel a difficult mind state, there will certainly be something happening in your body or not happening in your body. You come to the body and you calm and steady that. That's the body means. That's the bodily means. So maybe that's one of the things that we need to remember. You don't always deal with it in terms of thought. In fact, it's... Uh, some, yeah. Yeah. So just kind of consider that. I think it's always useful to have a kind of fairly simple, try that one out and do it on a regular basis. And either standing, walking, reclining, sitting, you know, how is this? And it's not just the sudden flash, but you get, oh, it feels sort of, heavy and where how can it feel fuller and actually the breathing is the most um, is the most intelligent part of it all if we can find a a breath body within that form within that bodily form and ask it to guide us open up and the external body will then sort of shift around that and you feel a coming into balance again Though careful attention. I wanted to just touch into the topic of the hindrances and as with other things, it's something to kind of, it's a well-known uh, topic. So just to keep coming back to that periodically, looking at that, so we get a, a kind of few angles on it. And so classically the Buddha points that five hindrances that obstruct, hinder the mind, the heart in the present moment from feeling joyful, free and calm and also hinder it from from extending its its full potential for awakening. 
practice, their limitations. And uh, these, so these are uh, common to, to all people, They're not personal copyright. Um, and because they also are activated, they're also, they are, they've got a sankara push in them, they're volitional, they have activities because they're active, um, then they can be diverted, calmed, unplugged, and so on. And the one thing that the, the teaching of Sankara is really, really important to reflect on a lot is there is no room in that for I am. No room for I am in that. In that. That's why it's a useful thing, because it, it says, no, there's no I am about it. There's a volition, there's a push, there's a holding, but there's no I am. There's no I am who's desiring. There's no I am who's hating. There's just the experience, the program of, of ill will. So then we can look at it with some sense of objectivity and how does this work? How does this thing work? And essentially, those hindrances work by um, being triggered, those perception, um, preoccupation, careless attention, it said, is the food for the hindrance. You tend to the wrong topic, the wrong object in the wrong way. And therefore, <laughs> this activates these particular tendencies become active. And then just for the sake of the record, five hindrances, <coughs> ill will, um, sense desire, though sometimes sense desire is doubled with another one called just general all-round um, covetousness. You know, essentially this is acquisitive. Mm-hmm. And uh, <coughs> Our old uh, favourite, sloth torpor. You hardly ever see these words used outside of outside of Dharma circles anyway. They're kind of lovely, archaic. Far from I think sloth's also zoological, but <laughs> this poor creature has been <laughs> saddled with this term. <laughs> Uh, really, it's not slothful at all, it's just it's normal speed. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just not, not frantic like the rest of us. Sloth torpor and um, restlessness, or sometimes worry and flurry. Worry and flurry. Uh, and then... Uh, Vichikicha, or doubt, or uncertainty, wavering and havering. Inability to to consolidate, or collect, or compose upon one thing. We always keep shifting and uncertain. So these five, and we notice they they are active. And there also they go viral, that is, having ill will, then one feels perhaps uh, doubt because of that. Or one feels ill will about the ill will. Mm. Yeah. Experiencing sense desire, we may experience sense desire and then feel ill will about the sense desire. Or doubt about it, or restless about it. And, and so they, they cascade, you know, it starts off at and it, these things cascade. As the Sankara quality gets going, it doesn't stay static, it keeps activating, and it generally will intensify or activate further Sankaras, get piled on top of it. And often, you know, that, that's the sense of the overwhelm that comes up. They don't just stay static. And by and large, as we feel more maybe overwhelmed or alarmed, then the energy would come in to do something about it. In other words, go up into the Vajisankara, think something about it to sort it out. That tends to be our default. You know, something's happening, then we go into what to do about it. You know, what to do about it. And maybe 
you know. So just noticing, then it pushes you into that. And then what we, when we go into that area, what we do about it is think about it. <coughs> and thinking about it, one experiences lamentation, sorrow, frustration, pain, grief, and despair. <laughs> oh, this is happening to me. Oh, that it wouldn't happen to me. Oh, why is it always happening to me? Why am I like this? Others aren't like that. How can I not be this way? How can I not be that way? So you get this cascading effect. Um, I should try harder to do something about it. And uh, so it goes perhaps to the wrong place. Mm. Or it goes into I am. I am hateful. I am a nasty person. So that's even weirder place to go because it doesn't exist. So ill will um, <clears throat> arises, is triggered by what? Mm. Something is not the way that I feel comfortable with, I enjoy, I like. Something is happening, it's being experienced, the perception is arising in the mind. These all occur in the citta sankara, in how I am. Something's happening that I don't feel, I don't like, I don't enjoy. Mm. Therefore, there's a dissonance between what I would like or wish or want or feel comfortable with and that which is happening, the dissonance. And that dissonant agitation, you know, the mind responds to that agitation with a feeling of you know, ill will, directs some venom towards that, that thing and that will, that will get rid of it, that will make it go away. And what we're left with is the venom, naturally enough. So this is the inappropriate, the response is is somewhat instinctive but also inappropriate because it leaves us with another set of unpleasant experiences that perhaps we feel some ill will about. And so it goes, or we um, (coughs) so ill will. And naturally, you know, when you come to, you can look at this, the topic of ill will, I don't like bean sprouts, or he's banging around in the room above me, uh, you know, I want to be quiet, and it's a retreat, and da 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 and this fellow's deciding he needs to do limbo dancing in the room upstairs or something, and, you know, you know, supposed to be quiet, and there's irritation. So, well, what can we do about that when you can go up and give them an earful or complain or we could say well just look at the experience of ill will what that's doing to me maybe could I just you know relax that and well it's just the sound after all Mm. you know that's the immediate thing it's just the sound after all and oh you know so the, the, the ill will can disappear then you find out the fellow wasn't doing African dance, he was actually having a, you know, an un- un- uncontrollable fit of some kind. Then you feel, oh, compassion, <laughs> around the same noise. <laughs> yeah, so the perception that we have is, seems blazingly accurate, but often isn't that way at all. But whatever it is, you say, well, could it be something that is disagreeable, unpleasant, but I don't have to be have this poison happening to me. And then you feel calm and you say, okay, no, I don't feel so much ill will. And then maybe, okay, well, let's check it out. What was going on for you? Okay. Well, you know, did you realize that I'm underneath, you know, the floor is quite light? I really appreciate it if we, (laughs) you know, so that the sense of realizing we don't intend to annoy each other. And noticing how much the, the sense of self goes on with that. If it was just uh, like a woodpecker banging away, uh, it's just bird. If it's a yogi banging away, it's inconsiderate human being. If that sound of whirring and clunking is just the, the water pump operating, fine. If it's some other yogi doing something, inconsiderate idiot. <laughs> but actually what's happening is a sound isn't it 
and then the interpretation of that. So we check the perception. <clears throat> this is what we can do about it, first thing we can do about it. And then reflecting, you know, I'm the one who will have to experience the ill will. And then could I come into, it does does cause irritation, so why don't I come into my feet and my body, my feet don't hear anything. They're totally uncomfortable with that. Yeah. So you find a pl- place in your body where you can come out of the activation. Breathing in, breathing out. And you find room to accept um, the disagreeable, or that which doesn't agree with me now. Things aren't permanently disagreeable. As we know, you know, music at six in the evening is fine, music at two in the morning is a row. So it's, it's all very subjective, isn't it? <coughs> Ill will extended outwardly towards the world around us, and then ill will extended inwardly, yeah. which means not just that I am ill will ill will towards myself, but also um, one feels that one is in a realm of hostility. So this this comes as anxiety. Anxiety is a kind of inverted ill will. In other words, rather than me feeling radiating ill will outwardly, ill will is coming towards me. Or a lack of graciousness or a blaming mind or feeling threatened or feeling accused or feeling inadequate is coming towards me. And so therefore I'm anxious. Somebody might blame me, accuse me, find me inadequate, you know, go to the interview and the teacher's gonna look at me, you know, steely blue eyes and what have you been doing today? <laughs> and <laughs> examination. Uh, so therefore, oh, tremble, tremble. So we experience a world around us as a place of hostility and ill will. And therefore, it turns inwardly. And this is so. This is the trigger for anxiety. <clears throat> so when we. Fear, recognize fear itself is not a hindrance. You know, it's good to be frightened of trucks when they're thundering down the highway towards you. But to be uh, frightened when there's actually nothing there, really, this is the hindrance. Means we are unconsciously uh, catalyzing an environment that is not gracious, not welcoming, is ready to find fault with us. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing that. <laughs> you know, you take responsibility for that. Or I'm not doing it, but the Sankara is stuck. It's stuck in that, you know. Of course, we all do get blamed and hit and dumped and so forth, but not perpetually, constantly, all the time. So now it's finished. And so just really reminding the system right around me, again in your body, space in front of me, no problem, space behind me, fine, comfortable, really rub your body into the space and to tell it you're really okay here. And then what it would be like if instead one was dwelling in an environment of goodwill. And maybe that is more the case, yeah particularly in this situation where looking for your welfare. So by giving careful attention and you're looking at particular dismantling perceptions, checking them out, we're able to perhaps switch the perceptual trigger off. Indeed, it's appropriate to be frightened when there's something to be frightened of, but it's not the case now. Switch it off. And of course, this this trigger is something we don't necessarily have in our fingers. So you've got appropriate attention also means where to find that trigger, where to find where that thing is. It could be, it could be in your belly. 
could be in your throat. There's a little place there. Oh, that's what's feeling it. Careful attention. Both to the topic, uh, the perception, the body, and the energy of it. The cascading energy of it. And careful that energy just doesn't go up into this compulsive I am. Maybe even just lessen the amount you're going to do about it, lessen its, lessen its trajectory to the head. There is something to do about it. What to do about it is to pause, stop wide and soft and come back into your body. Don't get too active about it. This is right effort. <coughs> this is appropriate effort. The appropriate effort means you, is you do the, the, you activate in a particular way that's helpful. So it's just like, you know, if you're trying to, imagine you're saying, somebody says, oh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to eat this pile of grapes, but I keep putting them on my elbow and I try really hard to get them into my mouth. And it takes me a lot of effort. And every now and then by using my elbow, I managed to get one grape in my mouth. You're thinking, this person's an idiot. <laughs> Surely, no much amount of effort you put into your elbow, you're not going to get any grapes in your mouth. Why don't you use your fingers? <laughs> it's really easy. In fact, it's so easy, you don't have to think about it if you use the right thing. And sometimes it seems we're trying to you know, feed ourselves with our elbows. Oh, I've got a lot of strength in my shoulder. Shoulder's really strong. I'll put grapes in my mouth with my shoulder. And you kind of clunk. Really put a lot of strength in there and push that towards you. Every now and then you do get a grape in your mouth and your shoulder through this amazing act of flexion and will. And that's what it takes to practice. <laughs> I really feel maximum strain and strength and effort to get that grape in my mouth. You think, person's a fool. Why don't you use your fingers? <laughs> You know, it doesn't take much effort at all. Just carefully attend <laughs> to where the effort is needed. And it should be that it is not a massive strain, but a kind of skillful, flexible application. That's right, effort. So first of all, we have to find careful attention. See, what needs to be activated? Don't go into the reflex, but go into... What's really needed here? Maybe you don't need to do anything and just wait for the grapes to fall. You know, open your mouth and just... <laughs> That's right effort, if it's appropriate. Yeah. So you'd be careful with effort because it, again, it's one of those things that we feel harder, more somehow we, we feel that's that's really good, but I'm actually I can't make that all the time because I'm not very, I'm a rather weak person, weak-willed. It shouldn't be that much. It should be that which you do wholeheartedly, carefully, skillfully, and it you see, you experience the results immediately. You get some result. Oh yeah, that's how it goes. Like that, and then do it again. Sense desire, <coughs> karma chanda, means first of all, it, you know, the overriding, this is a big one because the overriding um, tendency of sankara is aimed towards the sensory world. It's here to embed us in this, uh, embed experience in this sense form. So there's a natural inclination towards the senses. And yeah, it's great because otherwise you wouldn't eat. And, uh, you know, 
and things so you need that so that opening of the sense doors is appropriate you know but we're looking at the sense sensory as navigation it's good to have your eyes open uh, navigation placing adjustment location function but if you're looking at it for satisfaction that it doesn't do that really <laughs> they don't do that <clears throat> so uh, because they don't do that then think well try try another one that one didn't quite do it so try another one and more of them and that that's the escalation isn't it so in, in this world we live in is a huge kind of range so you get things you can have and do and buy and eat and play with and so on so you're just shifting around but the basic underlying kind of mythology is it it's out there somewhere the feel good is out there somewhere and it is for a few seconds and then it sort of flares and fades so we get a feeling of hunger and reaching out addiction because of that brief flare that occurs it's better than nothing like the rat pressing its nose on the bar until it fries its brains <clears throat> now you know it, there is a, a need for fulfillment and replenishment and enjoyment but it doesn't come that way so again it's appropriate attention careful attention to you know where that energy is going noticing it doesn't get it and there is a place where we can arrive at that quality of completion and gladness and richness but it, through another way and the appropriate attention well, you know, restraining. So the senses are running out, just draw it back, coming back into presence, breathing in, breathing it, come back into the body, and the various ways in which we can fashion our pleasure. And that's a term that the Buddha uses uh, for the cultivator, one who knows how to fashion their own pleasure. And it's this you know, really internalizing of that. Mm. Also, sense desire when it's turned inward, we feel kind of flat and stale. So we need something to buck me up, pick me up. Uh, and then <coughs> careful attention to warming the heart and warming the body by running energy through it <coughs> helps to assuage the push out and then you can look at contemplate the various topics of sense desire whether it's tactile or um, visual or whatever it is and then the psychological boost that comes with it so, so you know, how, how, how helpful is that yeah, it's not very good at all very helpful so well, actually all those objects themselves are subject to decay impermanence and change uh, yeah. and then you begin to review what exactly is, is the really triggering point and it could be something like colour you know you really like the red or the bright reds of a piece of fruit how can you eat a colour <laughs> color is a color you can't eat a color you can't get it so you know the mythology of the senses is you could get that thing but you can't get it because can you where's it going to be stored where are you going to store your red or a shape you know be attracted to the shape of somebody's body shape is what how can you have a shape? You know? Or we imagine textures, you know. 
how can you have any of it? You can't have it. It can there's contact impressions that arise and pass, but there's no such thing as having. So you learn a lot with uh, the dismantling or the investigation of sense desire, the mythologies that it's based on. You know, is this true? Has anybody had a shape or a color or a texture or a touch or a smell? Anybody had them? Or do they just flicker, flash and change? And how long does that fragrance remain agreeable before it's sickening or enough or stale or yesterday's taste? And you finish with that now. So you learn a lot from contemplating these things. So you don't want to do is just go into some kind of slam guilt thing because you, to explore it you really learn a lot from investigating hindrances <coughs> sloth torpor <laughs> yeah, the, the much abused beast uh, means refers to a kind of indolence of attitude indolent can't be bothered and so this is this is an affliction of the heart. And sometimes we confuse this with bodily low energy. Naturally, bodily low energy is something we can get. This indolent, can't be bothered, dullness of mind. But really, the hindrance is the mental, rather than the bodily sense. So if you have low energy, it doesn't mean you are slothful or. <laughs> Dal or torpid, it means your your attitude towards it. So when you have low energy in your body, investigate how it feels and uh, what there is. And generally, just coming into a more healthy relationship with one's bodily energy is really uh, clever really bright, really clever, because, you know, we tend to imagine we should be running at certain speed all the time, like always on on full on. And that organic systems don't do that. They, they, they arise, they come into fullness, they peak, they subside. The energy patterns are doing that from low to richer to surging sometimes over the top and then there's a decline now once if you hold you try to hold your system and this is again part of the problem of the, the work ethic when it was decided that you shall be on red alert for eight hours a day solid without fluctuating maybe a 10 minute break to shoot some caffeine into your system now and then to keep it cranked up is that you're trying to hold a certain energy pattern, solid, steady state all day long. Well, that is quite abusive <laughs> to, to, the, uh, to the system because it doesn't, organically, it doesn't do that. Therefore, when you switch off, the thing slumps <laughs> or goes into this chaotic experiences. So it slumps and it races and it slumps and you can't sleep at night and you wake up and then and then all the things we do to try and get it there. Um, and really, generally, the one's body, one's natural energy will come in waves. And you'll feel certain, not very much, not very clear, not very full. And then you stay with it, breathing into it, feeling it out, breathing into your body, just keeping your, your mental attention quiet and your heart intentions soft and loving and spacious, then the energy will, will gradually come to its fullness and so on. And again, we, that energy is dependent upon health and other conditions. So you want to learn to operate in all, bad, all um, parts of the energetic spectrum. What it's like to have low energy, what it's to have lots and lots of energy. Yeah. So how to balance and be with that and so that is a mind that's not indolent it's not it's not bonded to the energetic thing and saying i am about it it's, it's, i am this i'm not enough of that 
I'm too much of this. It's just this. How do you handle, how do you be with this particular frequency of energy? And you, you can't do that with your, with your brain, really. You can do it through the body, primarily, and also just through keeping the heart open and benevolent doing it through your body. One way to um, help the body to, to kindle and to refresh itself is to use your breathing. And the uh, um, trick, perhaps slightly counterintuitive, is if you breathe less, you'll get more, your energy will increase because the energy is particularly kindled at the relationship of the air element and the earth element that is when there's the air element pushes into the earth element there's fire there's friction now to put it in more prosaic terms when your breath is slightly more restrained it has to push a bit harder it pushes a bit harder into the body and you feel slightly uncomfortable, but you get this sort of strengthening of energy. So, for example, if you're breathing all the way out, and then before, as you're about to breathe in, just pausing, and maybe counting five or ten, and then let the breath come in slowly, like you're breathing through a straw. And it will certainly, there'll be some sort of, I want more, I want more, not breathing enough, slow it down, and... Uh, that increasing the resistance to the breath will will generate energy and it help to sharpen things up. And this is like, you know, three minutes, don't do this for an hour. <laughs> and just and again it doesn't mean you're gonna feel full of beans, it'll mean you'll feel just sharper and clearer, more more settled in where you are. Your energy will at least uh, consolidate. So energy tends to, when, it, when it's in low state, it sometimes dissipates and becomes very sort of woozy and, and often may even go, in, go in, into the heart and we lie in there feeling kind of rotten and blah, 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 blah. And so just drawing energy back to the breath. And it just helps to sharpen it and clear it. And also calms, you get calmer, clearer, energy not necessarily more but enough to be present that's all you really want enough to be present enough to support mindfulness and clear comprehension unless you handle and manage and attend to and care for and gently cultivate energy you cannot make effort effort without energy is a kind of punishment you know, you're pushing and you don't have the resource to accomplish that. And all you feel is a strained sense. Uh, effort without energy is like running a mile without any water or food. You knock the system out. And energy can be used in unnecessary thinking and... Uh, cascades of emotions and thoughts so we the more we can collect all that the more resource of energy we'll have energy of offering and giving is much more fruitful than energy of having and controlling having and controlling will tend to constrict your energy offering and giving will tend to cause it to bloom and blossom these are ways in which one wisely attends to the topic of energy to dispel indolence. Indolence is where we just give up, you know, give up on ourselves. And people with a lot of energy can give up on themselves, you know, and just kind of get careless and well, what. So it, there's a difference. Restlessness is the uh, sense of a very dissipated energy that can't find a home base. 
can't, an energy that can't find a home base, it can't find a place to rest, <coughs> to settle, to consolidate. So it keeps jittering out onto what this and that and this and that and this and that and this and that. And it can have, it can come up into the thought mind where we start to think of the, all the things we have to do and could do and should do and is that right or is that not right. So it turns into worry there. And worrying, or it turns into a kind of um, agitation where we're always overdoing. Well, you know, I mean, overdoing is a judgment, but uh, really, you know, we put energy that doesn't lead us to feeling completed. It just creates more and more things that need to be attended to. So, and again, once it gets into your into your mind, into your brain, then there's a sort of blank check really on what could be attended to, and you just keep writing more and more of them. So the topics of restlessness. And it's a, it's a it can be a faculty that's actually encouraged, <laughs> you know. A restless person, a busy person, is a great person to employ. <laughs> so <laughs> they'll keep thinking they need to do a bit more, which is great if you're an employee. So you want to encourage it, <laughs> but it's extremely uncomfortable to to live with. So the restless mind needs to be asked, how do you feel comfortable? Well, once I've done that and that and that and that and that, I'll feel comfortable. <laughs> I'm going to just, just watch, be watchful to that and say, well, you know, what if you drop dead in the next 20 seconds? So we just bring Maranusati back to the, it's never done, it's never completed. It's never done. You might not get out of the hall. You might have a heart attack, you know. So all that thing, you just check it with a top reference to the topic. And why, sh why should it be that, you know, you have to do it? Because of the ownership, the I am. The only thing I notice when I go to I'm the abbot of monastery, so I look around and see lots and lots of things need to be done. Go to somebody else's monastery, it's a break. The abbot there is thinking of all the things that need to be done. And I'm going, looks pretty good place to me. I mean, fine, it's wonderful. And the trees are nice and buildings. Are going, oh, look at the drainage system. The committee needs this, the finances. And you don't see it. You attend to that which doesn't need, you know, you attend to something else. And once you switch the channel, oh, it's pretty pretty good. You know. But look at that speck on the floor. <laughs> Somebody ought to mop it up. You know. <laughs> look at that. You know. <laughs> so yeah, right. Yeah. Somebody ought to do it, but not me. <laughs> so uh, you know, sometimes even <laughs> wise laziness is. Uh, <laughs> You know, just to counteract the knee jerker, do it, do it, do it. It's never finished. Is the, the reflection? It's never finished. So, what's appropriate activity? And then you contemplate internally how much are you trying to sort yourself out? How much are you trying to sort yourself out? And maybe what you need to sort out is the desire to sort yourself out. And if that relaxed, perhaps things would just start to slot into place by themselves. Hmm? So, you know, instead of trying to feed ourselves by using the power muscle of what we're good at doing, you know, it's like feeding yourself with your shoulder. You've got a big heavy shoulder, a lot of muscle in it, so you try popping grapes into your mouth with it. So, you know because that's your big power piece. Restless person needs to, they're good at doing kinds of things. They've got big muscle on that one. Hmm? 
good at figuring, good at tidying, good at sorting, good at arranging, good at, need to know, well, yeah, there's that, you've got that big muscle, but it, what it's not going to pop in your mouth is the grape of satisfaction. Maybe use another one, which is, oh, the enjoyment. Of, yeah. It's, uh, you know, that, that, that sense, opening that sense. And presence. So you, you know, really checking into the underlying view with any of these hindrances. So the view of, of ill will is by violence, I'll achieve peace. By putting poison out into the atmosphere, I'll come to a state of, you know, of well, of health. Who would think that? That's what it means, what it breaks down to. and injecting it into oneself. If I just give myself a little more of a hard time, I'll feel happy. That'll do it. If I just give myself a little more of a punishment, that'll make me better. That'll do it. You know, it's ill will towards oneself. You think, that's crazy. <laughs> Surely we need to encourage the good rather than keep thrashing the beast, you know? and know where to feed it and nourish it. The assumption of senses are is that we can have things. Yeah, you can't. So when you begin to sense that, what, have you, what do you already have that you're not going to be parted from? You have presence, you have awareness, you have a heart. You're not going to lose those. That's where you're going to find your happiness and contentment. <coughs> Confusion of sloth and torpor is that I should be at steady state, peak, high energy constantly. No, you don't. Learn to cooperate and live with and manage what you have. That's wisdom. Confusion of restlessness is I will get it done. No, you won't. (laughs) You never got it done. So why, why do you say it's done? It's done now. It's as done as it ever will be. Play with that one. Play with it. I'm not t- don't take me seriously, but play with it. Use it. What's the last one? Doubt. Hesitancy. Think this thing through or come to certainty. No, you won't. It comes to the next doubt. <laughs> Check it out. Doubt is really not an intellectual problem. It's an emotional problem. Hmm. So doubt is the inability to rest, to stabilize around the in, what's incomplete. So we don't know enough yet. Okay, you don't know enough yet. You're uncertain, you're not, you don't know enough yet. Do you know that? Do you sense that experience of not knowing enough yet? Yeah, there you are. You're totally clear about that. There's the end of doubt, isn't it? I have no doubt that I don't know enough. (laughs) There's no wavering around that. That's what it is, is like an emotional steadying around the incompleteness of our experience. Because on the conditioned level, that's what what it is. The conditioned is the incomplete, the, the inconstant, the imperfect. So you're not going to find certainty, conclusions, absolute lasting principles that never waver or bend, that cover every instance, it's not going to happen. You know? And so the tenacity of the, of the doubt and the push of it tends us towards dogmatism. You shore up a nice hard belief and hold on to it like crazy, that will get rid of the doubt. And then this is what gives right to fundamentalism, dogmatism, righteousness and conflict externally fundamentalists are people who have not managed the ambiguity of experience so you take a fixed position then you feel solid big I am in that internally doubt registers comes as a kind of depressed state yeah can't can't settle can't something wrong with me 
something incomplete about me, something lacking in me, something not firm in me. You know, I'm falling, I'm flailing, I'm, I'm empty, I haven't got any ground, you know. So, where, do you, where are you going to find that? And a thought? No. Thoughts don't give you ground, they tell you what to do. You can't find ground and stability in a thought because it's not its function. Its function is to tell you what to do. It's a doing thing. Where are you going to find ground? Body. So when there's that sense of havering, wavering, is it this, is it that? I don't know, should I, should I just come back into the body? Here it is. And come into which parts of your body are activated, in your face or wherever. And the fullness of the body. Oh. This is really helpful when you we have dilemmas, as I'm sure we all do, what should I do about this or that or the other? You think it through and you think it through and you think it this way and you think it that way and it could be this and it could be that and maybe they should do this but on the other hand maybe I'm being like that. It's just going to bounce. The Sankara, the Sankara Tango, bouncing around. So it's coming to the body, feel the sense of resting, presence, awareness and then so when the heart feels that sense of reassurance, stabilizing then, then you can come back to your dilemma, drop it into that space. What does it feel like? What feels about the right kind of intention now? What is it needed? What's the right kind of intention now? Intention towards Resting, the attention towards acting and whatever, but then you've got to trust that. So you don't find the answer in your head, it comes in your heart, and the heart has to rest in the body before it can come to its intelligence again. So yes, there are things that are valid uh, sources of uncertainty that we can come to here and now decisions on but we can't come to a you know an eternal abiding decision apart from to stay in touch and keep aware the details of our lives are always going to be you have to drop each one into your heart and let it speak for you and then follow it and then that gives you confidence Confidence is naturally the ending of doubt. Confidence, reassurance, trust, safety. Mm. Now this is the mark of the, the stream entra, the person who has come to the end of that particular um, inattention, careless attention. You ask the question in the wrong area. You're asking your head to solve it, and it can't do it. Mm. Uh, you, the stream entra, someone who's begun to recognize this isn't about rules and conventions. They're useful, but this isn't, this isn't, you know, they only go so far. This isn't about my personality, my what my head's going to figure out, or how I look, what other people might think of me. No, you can't do that. You're going to go into your body, put your heart in your body, listen up. Where does the Dhamma come from? Follow that. You know, maybe you don't look so good, maybe people think you're strange, but you follow that. So you'd leave the personality issue behind, you leave the sense of systems and structures, and you attend to the Dhamma. The more reassurance we have in that, the more confidence we have in that, our lives will go one way, stream one way, stream to uh, the ending of suffering, beginning of the uh, 
full streaming into the Dhamma, to Nibbana. So with the release from these hindrances, the mind feels assured, confident in itself, on the right track, happy, comfortable, self-governing. It knows its energy, knows how to operate, it knows what to refer to. And then through that, we have the resources to continue to uh, process what life and our karma throws up for us. So it's the So today, uh, again, there's a practice on your own, and there'll be the evening, have an evening session together. Uh, and then tomorrow is, is uh, uh, I call it a quiet day or a silent day. So these will be periodic, and basically it's an open form. There's no meetings, um, there's no pujas, don't even have to eat if you don't want to. <laughs> so it's a very open day. And that's that's tomorrow, so we'll have a few of these. So it's a chance to just kind of, you know, find your own, your own energy, your own rhythm, your own interest within this sense of the precepts and the form of the re- of the retreat, the retreat structure, and or the retreat boundaries, you might say. So that's tomorrow, mm-hmm. and uh, use it for your own welfare and happiness. Day after is the Uposata day, and that will be a day when uh, um, full moon, I believe. Full moon? Yeah. Full. <laughs> you look up there, you, you'll get it. <laughs> and so this is the day when uh, re- often in the Buddhist culture, you, start, I mean, you kind of almost reset everything. So we take the precepts again in the evening, and then uh, on the opposite, we'll have a vigil till midnight. So this is say, extending the practice until the midnight. So tomorrow, so Sunday morning, and then have the morning puja, and then have a, nothing else in the rest of the day until the evening. And then see if you can extend your practice until, until midnight. And we'll finish off midnight with some chanting. <coughs> Okay, so if you see a thing up on this notice board saying quiet day, that's what it, that's what it means, it means nothing happening. <laughs>